Praise Jesus. the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes. How many of you know you overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony? Amen. We serve a God that already overcame. We just got to trust in his victory. Amen. Walk in his victory. He is a great and awesome God. He is. Hallelujah. Glory to his name. Praise the name of Jesus. If you would, open your Bibles with me to the gospel of John. And we are in chapter 3, and we're going to go from verse 22. And as you are turning there in your, in your Bibles, our, ki our kids, to Kids Dome, you are dismissed to your classes now. Gospel of John chapter 3 and verse 22. When you got it, say so. And it says, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in Anum and Anon near, near Salim, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute among some of the of the John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth that is able to set us free. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your presence, God. Thank you for the reminders that you are our victory, God. Thank you for doing in us what only you can do, Lord God. We just pray this morning that you would be glorified in us. We pray this morning that you would hear us as we call unto you. And God, that you would answer us, that you would speak to us, your church, what you will to say to us, God. I pray that we would have ears to hear what you're saying to us, that even as you are attentive to our cry, that we would be attentive to your communication and that we would not be idle hearers of your word, but that we would be active doers of it, Lord God. I pray today that your church would be edified and that you would be glorified and that if there are any among us who do not know you, God, that they would come to the saving knowledge of who you are today. Father, be glorified in this and we pray this all in Jesus' good name. And someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so... We are continuing on in our series, The Real Jesus. If you do not have an outline, raise your hand, please, and we'll make sure that you get an outline. If you don't have one, thank you. Keep those hands up for a moment. As always, we remind you the reason why these outlines are important is because, number one, you get to take notes. You get to follow along throughout the beginning of the sermon and the introduction, and you're able to take notes with us. And then, not just are you able to take notes, but after we take these notes, we get together in small groups. We call them Connect Life Groups, and we meet in different homes and different places, and we discuss the sermon and what has been talked about. And so the things that you write down, the answers to the questions that are in the outline, those are what are going to be discussed and connect. And if you are not part of a Connect Life group, I encourage you to become part of one. God has called us to not only himself, but to be in community with one another. And therefore, it is important that we connect with each other on a continual, consistent basis, sharing life together so that we are able to grow as God desires for us to grow. And we all know this. I've said this before, and I will continue to say this probably until the day I die or stop preaching, whichever comes first. And it is that we do not grow in our sanctification all by ourselves. It is easy to be holy alone. Amen. Or so you think it's easy to be holy because when you realize when you get together with others, you're not so holy. I know it's really them, but you know, someone is unholy in the mix. And so ultimately you become more holy as you share life with one another, pray for one another, challenge one another. And so if you're not part of a Connect Life group, I encourage you to see Pastor Chad and he will get you connected in the right place. So we all have our outlines and we are continuing on in our series. Today I'm going to talk about security in the Savior. 
And so following along here, after Jesus' monumental conversation with Nicodemus, we discussed this last week, how Jesus talked about us needing to be born again. All mankind needed to be born again. The scene transitions to Judea in which we see Jesus and his disciples baptizing, and John the baptizer is nearby baptizing as well. And so we go from a conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus that is very important for us. It's monumental because we cannot enter the kingdom of God. We cannot see the kingdom of God apart from what? The work of God. The sovereign work of God must take place. As we pray for our friends, our family members, those who don't know Jesus, what should we be praying? We should be praying that the Spirit of God would regenerate them, that the Spirit of God would bring life to them, that they would come to realize their desperate need for Jesus, but not just their need for Jesus, but the provision that Jesus has made, the importance of the gospel message that we carry. And so we pray for those things because we realize that Jesus said that unless a man be born again, that he will not see the kingdom. And so he had this conversation. We discussed that last week. And so now we see here a few things, but the second paragraph there, Jesus and John the baptizer were contemporaries in ministry. They were around the same time in ministry together, except for one thing, it is that John the Baptist's ministry actually started before Jesus' ministry did on this earth. And there's a few things that we see in these verses, three things specifically. And while they're contemporaries in there, people who are in ministry together at the same time, these things are happening. The first one is that John the Baptizer represents the end of the old age or the old covenant. John the Baptist is going to be the last Old Testament prophet that we see. He is the last prophet that we see before Jesus goes to the cross, according to what the scriptures communicate, the last prophet that is sent, um, according to what the Bible teaches us. And so what we realize here is that John the Baptist is a representation of this old ministry, the old age, the old covenant being being done away with. The second thing is we see Jesus transitioning into ministry here because now we see Jesus going from having private conversations, having a scenario where he's in a, in a, in a, in a um, wedding and he is communicating there a miracle or, or performing a miracle at this wedding. And when he does this, he brings glory to God. The glory of God is revealed in that place. Some people's faith is built up, but it's still something that is secretive. And then what we see now is that Jesus goes from being in the secret place, being in private conversation, to now his ministry is expanding. Now his ministry is going out to where more people are going to see him, more people are going to hear from him. It's not going to be just one-on-one conversations. And the third thing, we see Jesus' ministry representing the start of the new age of faith or the new covenant. So we see the end of the old covenant in John the Baptist. We see Jesus' ministry coming to the forefront, but we also see that Jesus represents the new covenant or the age of faith where now it is about having faith in Christ, not about just fulfilling the laws of God. And the importance of this portion of Scripture for us are many. There's a whole bunch of different things that we could look at in this portion of Scripture. There's a lot of stuff that's in here. But what we're going to focus on today is one thing, and that is that we can be and should be secure in our Savior. John the baptizer exemplifies for us what it really means to be a witness for Jesus who is secure in Jesus even when things around us may seem to be going in the wrong direction. Let me say that again. John the Baptist or John the Baptizer exemplifies for us what it really means to be a witness for Jesus who is secure in Jesus even when things around us may seem to be going in the wrong direction. Security in our Savior. This is monumental for us because in life, listen, life is, is, is inconsistent. And what I mean is that things happen that we are not expecting, right? These things called curveballs that come our ways. It looks like everything, we're on a specific traje- trajectory in our lives. We're going in a specific direction. We have a plan. You know, for those of you that are planners, some of us are not. But others of you, you know, you have 10-year goals, 20-year goals. You know, you have five-year goals. You have one-year goals. You have goals that are daily going to help you get there. And so you have a pretty good plan in your life. Glory to God for that. But what happens when something doesn't go according to plan? What happens when something in your life is not the way that it seems like it should be? When something is not occurring? When sickness enters your life? When a loss of a job occurs? When someone you love abandons you or betrays you? What happens when scenarios in your life occur that you weren't expecting, you didn't plan for? Listen, nobody plans for, you know, things. I mean, I just went to a funeral um, this week. One of of my um, great aunts, she passed away and... 
I went to this funeral, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going. I wasn't planning to go to the funeral. My grandmother called me on Wednesday, and she was like, my mother called me, actually, and asked me if I would drive my grandmother to South Florida on Thursday. And I was like, man, it's going to be rough. But they were having the funeral Thursday night. They were just doing a, you know, a wake on that evening. They weren't going to have a, a, a burial because she was going to be cremated. And so they invited me to come. And um, or not, she, my, my grandmother asked me if I would go, and I was like, well, let me see if I can t- you know, fix, fix some stuff on my schedule. I was able to get everything, um, you know, fixed in my schedule, right? The curveball came, so I, I had a plan, right? I had my plan. I go, I go and I drive down south, and, you know, I'm going down there, and it is hilarious to me because my, my great aunt was not, she didn't go to church, so she didn't have a pastor, right? Guess who walked in the door? Pastor Jason with no plan, with no little black book. Hello, somebody. For those of you that are ministers, you know what that little black book is. That's your cheat sheet, right? That's got all of your sermon notes. That's got all of your, you know, everything that you would do in a funeral scenario. And so I come there, you know, I get there early. And when I walk into the, you know, the, the, the place where she's at, where they're having the viewing at the funeral home, you know, I sit down and her daughter comes up to me and she's, you know, crying and emotional. And she's like, um, you know, Jason, do you think that you could say a few things? And I was like, Sure, I can say what, what, what do you want me to say? And she's like, you know, well, you know, just like kind of, you know, say goodbye. And I was like, oh, glory to God, this is going to be amazing. So, you know, thank God for one thing. And it's that I had like two hours to sit there and think about what I was going to say, right? So, you know, I knew the Bible enough and I was like, okay, so, you know, I got up. The point is that I wasn't planning for that, right? I wasn't prepared for that. But you know what I did have? I had a security in Christ and I know the gospel enough. I know enough about the word of God to where I I wasn't shaken. I was nervous, of course, right? I was up there, and it was kind of like just free flow, and, you know, you're around a bunch of people that don't know Jesus, and, you know, they're not seeking God, so it's an opportunity for you to share this gospel. The truth of the matter is, in our lives, things occurred. Not just was I not prepared, but they weren't prepared. She went into the hospital because she had a stomach ache. Three weeks ago, she went to the hospital because she had a stomach ache and, and there was something wrong and ended up finding something that was going on with her. And so all of a sudden, this tragedy hits this family. And even though she was older because she was, you know, she was, she was up there, you know, she was at least 70-something, maybe 80, around there. But she didn't seem it and none of, nobody was planning for that. But see, here's the thing. When those situations occur in our lives, where is our stability? Where is our security? Is it in something else? Because a lot of times we're real secure in our plan. A lot of times we're real secure in what we think should be occurring. We're real secure in our retirement, whatever. We're real secure in the job that we have. We're real secure in the people that we're around. And listen, it's not so that, you, that, that way you walk around being a pessimist and waiting for everyone to let you down, for everything to go bad in your life. That's not what I'm talking about. Live life for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Don't, don't walk around waiting for someone to let you down, waiting for something bad to happen. Live for the glory of God, but above all things, we should be and we can be secure in our Savior. So the first thing that I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, security in the Savior enables us to remain focused on what really matters. Security in the Savior enables us to remain focused on what really matters. And so we read um, in, in verse 22, and I'm just going to read through it again and we'll read to verse 28, and we'll look at those verses and unpack that and see what we find here. It says, after these things, Jesus and his disciples, after these things, referring to the conversation that he had with Nicodemus, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and, here, and, and there he remained with them and baptized now, John also was baptizing in Anon near, near Salim because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. And so people were coming to John being baptized. People were coming to Jesus and his disciples and being baptized. And in verse 24, it says, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. And so in a little bit in the future, John the Baptist is going to be arrested and thrown into prison. And then... It says, then there arose a dispute among some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And so notice this, the spiritual climate of those days, if you, if you remember, if you know a little bit about the gospel, there are scenarios where Jesus is, is with his disciples and they do not wash their hands before they eat. And why was that a big deal? Because the Jewish people had certain purification ceremonies that they went through. 
And so what is happening here is we have John the Baptist baptizing one place nearby where Jesus is, Jesus and his disciples baptizing somewhere else. And we know as we move forward and we look in chapter 4, it wasn't Jesus who was actually baptizing, it was his disciples. And nonetheless, there was a question that begins to arise about purification. Why does this matter to us? Because the spiritual climate of those days was similar to ours in that people were always getting caught up in semantics, losing sight of what really matters to focus on things that didn't have the greatest significance. Hence, the dispute over ritual purification that arose. And so what happens in those days is that they're, instead of focusing on the fact that I need to be baptized, we're going to worry about are we being baptized correctly? Are you hearing me? Instead of, instead of realizing that they needed this salvation, they needed to hear this message, they're going to go and dispute. You know why people do that? Let me tell you something. You know why people nitpick like that? Because they don't want to focus on what really matters. I never forget Pastor Darren Holland. He's one of my mentors, and he was talking one day, and he was, he was sharing about a Bible study he was having, and he said, in this Bible study, he said, you know, I was teaching through a specific portion of Scripture, and he said, and there was this guy, he kept on asking questions about, you know, these deep spiritual things, right? He was asking these questions about angels and, you know, stuff that he's like, man, I, first of all, I didn't even have the answers for that stuff because it was really irrelevant, but nonetheless, he's like, the reason why this guy was wanting to focus on all this deep stuff is because he had a horrible personal life. And he wants to try to cover up his personal life by sounding real deep on these things that don't even matter. Are you hearing me? And so what we'll do many times, it's not everyone, but what we'll do many times is we focus on these little things as if those little things are really the big issues. Those little things are not the big issues. And you know what? Those days are no different than our days. Listen, you drove here today, and when you drove here, you drove past at least 10 churches. I'm just saying. I'm guaranteeing you drove past 10 churches. And if you went into every one of those churches tomorrow, well, maybe not tomorrow, wait till Tuesday. Most pastors are off on Monday. But if you went there on Tuesday morning, and you sat down with those pastors, and you asked them what their beliefs are, and they would they believe a lot of stuff just like we do, but ask them, you know, how they feel about other churches, you would find that there are some things that are dividing the church. And you know what most of it is? Semantics nitpicking over words, nitpicking over things that don't really matter. But you know what I love? I love about this guy, John the Baptist, is he is able to deal with this dispute. And in verse 26, it says here, it says, And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. And verse 27 says this, John answered and said, now I, this, this, these two verses, I mean, this whole portion of John's communication are some of my favorite, but this has to be one of my favorite, favorite verses that God has delivered me from so much stuff, and I hope that he'll deliver you when you look at the scripture and what John's response is. John doesn't even address the fact that, you know, what they're trying to bring to his attention. He points this out. He says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You hear the power in that? A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Listen, you should exhale after that. Why do I say that? Because that is a liberating verse. Because that means that I can strive after, run after, try to get, try to attain all kind of stuff. But if it is not given to me from heaven, it's not mine. No matter what I do, I can't have it. No matter how many, no, no, no matter what I strive after, it's not going to be mine. See, for me, that's liberating because I know this. Whatever I have, it's by God's grace. Are you hearing me? Whatever you have is by God's grace. Listen, you may, and, and I'm, not, I'm not discounting hard work because we should all work hard, amen? See, this verse is not a, a verse to liberate you from hard work. This is a verse that should liberate you for working hard for the wrong things. This is a verse that should liberate you from just doing whatever you want to do to try to get the things that you want. Instead, it should liberate you to understand the things that John the Baptist was communicating to us, and one of them being the sovereignty of God. Verse 28 says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ. So notice the first verse, he talks about a man can have nothing except what God has given him. The second verse here, he says, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Three things here that John the Baptist does, or John the Baptizer does. He was able to silence the dispute by bringing into perspective what really mattered. What are the three things that really matter here? The first one is that God is sovereign. The second one is that Jesus is preeminent. And the third one is that John had a purpose. 
God is sovereign, Jesus is preeminent, and, God, and John has a purpose. John wasn't trying to be who Jesus was. John wasn't trying to take glory that didn't belong to him. John wasn't trying to gain anything other than what God had already sovereignly designed. See, some of us don't like that word sovereignty, but understand this. That is the, most, that, that is the best place that you can rest in, that your God is sovereign. Listen to me, church. If God is not sovereign, you should be scared. If God is not sovereign, you should walk around trembling because if he's not sovereign, if he is not in control, if he is not almighty, all-wise, all-knowing, all-able to do the things that he says he's going to do, then you and I should be fearful for our lives because our lives are held by someone who is weak. But our God is a sovereign God. And so here's the thing, when we are secure, because we're talking about security in the Savior, when we are secure in the Savior, we truly trust God's sovereignty. When I'm secure in Jesus, I really trust his sovereignty. When things don't go the way that I intended them to go, when things don't go the way that I planned for them to go, you know what I do? I can trust his sovereignty. A man can have nothing unless God gave it to him. A man can have nothing unless, unless God gave it. It's, it's never going to be mine, so why should I fret over that stuff that I never got? It wasn't meant for me to have, obviously, because if I don't have it, I mean, God is sovereign. Hello. The second thing is this, is that when I truly live in security, I live for the glory of Jesus. You see, when, because, because Jesus is preeminent. We sing this song, the first song that we sang this morning. Which I, it, it, I say this all the time whenever we're invited to go and minister out places. And every time we go, you can ask the music ministry. They will tell you that song is always on our playlist. You know why? Because I want the people to know when we walk into the place, not that we can rock that song, but that it is not about us. That it really is about Jesus. That it really is about, it's not about our musical ability. It's not about how great we are. It's not, I have a shirt that says it doesn't matter who wins, it matters who gets the glory. And it's not to say, it's not to say that it does, like, like you shouldn't want to win. I mean, how many of y'all want to win? Raise your hand, you should all want to win. I mean, I'm just saying, I want to win like Nacho. You know what I'm saying? He, he's, anyway, y'all, whatever. I took y'all back there, glory to God. It's been a while. Y'all are going to go see that movie now. You're going to be on Netflix and be like, oh, Nacho. But here's the thing. <laughs> but here, here's the thing. We should all want to win. I think that we should all, nobody should walk around saying, man, I just want to lose everything. Right? Like, that's the way I'm going to live my, that's my trajectory of life, loss. I just want to lose everything, right? Is that, that's ignorance, right? But you know what should be more important than you gaining the victory is God getting the glory. It is that I live my life truly for the glory of God. That everything that I do, I live for the glory of God. Listen, I try to instill this in my daughter, and I will, I will try to instill this in my son as well. That when they're in school, the grades that they're getting, it's not just to bring a good report card home to daddy and to mommy, but it is to do what? It is to bring glory and honor to God. I do my best because if I am not doing my best, you know what I'm not doing? I'm not living for the glory of God. If I'm not doing my best, I'm not living for his glory. And listen, your best is going to be your best, and you need to do whatever you're doing and work the same way. The reason why you work hard is not for the raise you're going to get or maybe not get. Hello? Some of y'all know what that means. Like, y'all ain't had a raise in who knows how long. I'm just saying. Don't, don't, don't be mad. It's just a reality. It's just something that, that occurs. But the question is, are you living for the raise or are you living for the glory of Jesus? You see, if you're secure in Christ, when you're secure in him, you will live for the glory of God. And the third thing is, when you're really secure in Christ, is you will really live within your purpose. You will live within the purpose that God has given you. You will live that purpose. In, I mean, once you, you, you find that stride of the will of God, and John the Baptist, he knew what his, his purpose was, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. But when you are really secure in Christ... You live for your purpose. You live in the purpose that God has given you because you know what? God is sovereign. You're living for his glory, and I want to live in his purposes because in his purposes, I'm going to bring his glory, and I'm going to, and I'm going to magnify his sovereignty to the entire world. So we live for the glory of Jesus when I'm securing him. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me, say security in the Savior, security in the Savior. enables us Jesus. to rejoice, rejoice in the midst of apparent loss. 
Security in the Savior enables us to rejoice in the midst of apparent loss. Let's look at verse 29 to verse 30. It says here, it says, He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. Verse 30, another one of my favorite verses. He must increase, but I must decrease. See, John the baptizer shows us the heart of someone who is truly secure in his calling and position and the purpose of God. Here's the thing. Insecurity, when you're not secure in Christ, it will disable us from being able to rejoice when others excel or succeed, especially in the, area as, in, in the same areas as us. You see, what happens is if I am, and, I, and I'll use, I'll use a, 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 a personal pastoral example. As a pastor of a church, um, we're, we're going on 13 years here, and i never forget Glenn Wilson. He was talking about another contemporary of his. who start, They started a church almost the same month, you know, same amount of time. And, you know, Glenn Wilson's church at that time, I don't know how big it is now, but at that time it was about the same size as our church after 12 years. And his contemporary, his church was at like 3,000 people. And he said it was so easy for him to get jealous or for him to start to feel inadequate or for him to feel insecure because he wasn't, you know, seeing this explosive growth that this other person was experiencing. And here's the thing. When you, when you see, this, this is where the question comes in. Are you able to rejoice when someone else is succeeding in an area you're not succeeding in that you want to succeed in? I'm not talking about smile. You know, that, that protocol smile, you know, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know how that is, right? Like when someone tells you that joke, and it's really not funny, but you don't want to be rude until you're like, ah. You know. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like in your heart of hearts. Like, I want, you, know, you, know, you know when you rejoice? Let me tell you when you can test if you're rejoicing with someone else. When you bought that new car, remember how you felt? You were, you were happy, right? Like for real. Like there was, there was a real. When you moved into that house or moved into that apartment or you got that thing that you want, right? Like there was joy in your heart, like for real. Let me ask you this. Do you feel that way when you hear about someone else's accomplishment? Are you really happy for them? Are you really rejoicing for them? All that is is a question of yours and my security. That's all it is. And listen, I can tell you hands down, I, 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 won't, I won't embarrass myself here, but I'll let you know like by giving you specific examples. But I will tell you hands down, there are plenty of times that I had to do that fake smile and be like, yeah, I really wasn't happy in my heart. Where I had to go in to pray and I had to repent before God and say, God, why not me? Are you hearing me? That I had to come before the Lord and I had to, and you know what? And I, I, wasn't, I wasn't unhappy for them. I just wasn't happy. Are you hearing me? It wasn't like I was wishing that they didn't have what they had. It's that I was like, man, can I, can I get some? I'm just saying. Just being honest, right? And it's not that I don't want anyone else to succeed. It's that, man, can I, can, I, can I have my definition of success in my life? You know, you may see it in someone else's marriage, right? You're like, man, they seem to have an amazing marriage, and you see them getting along, and your marriage is not so, Right? Or you see someone's children who are, seem to be stellar, you know, like they're just amazing kids. You're like, what is wrong with my children, right? Like you are just envious, you know, you're ready to murder someone, right? I'm just, right, I'm, it's like you know, someone else is moving into that house that you, you know, that you've been wanting to move. You know, all of these things occur. But the question is, am I living in a place of security, because when I am secure in my Savior, it enables me to rejoice in the midst of apparent loss. And so what we see here is John the Baptist, what were they coming to him? They were coming to him saying, hey, the guy, this, this is what they were saying. I'm going to paraphrase this for you. The guy who you were testifying about, he's stealing all your people. Are you hearing me? The guy who you were, you were saying, oh, be, behold the Lamb of God. The, and that guy, he's got all these people following him. What's up? And John is like, man, it's not about me. It's about him. As a matter of fact, he says this. I mean, just, I mean it's, it's, it's monumental for us when you think about it. He says in verse 29, the last part of that verse, it says, Therefore, this joy of mine 
is fulfilled. Listen, he wasn't just happy. He was fulfilled because people were leaving him to go over there. Are you hearing me? He was excited about that. That's a beautiful thing. John the baptizer shows us the heart of someone who is truly secure in his calling and position and the purpose of God. And so he shows us this, and then he gives us an analogy of the bride and the bridegroom. Now, let me tell you something. I was thinking about this for a moment, and I'm, I'm going to do a quick poll here, so you're going to have to raise your hand. I, I hope that you will in, in, indulge me. How many of you, as you were growing up, ever thought, right, about your wedding day at some point? Before it happened, you thought about your wedding day, right? Okay, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. I'm trying to do a poll here. All right, now put your hands down. Now, how many of you dreamed about being a best man or a bridesmaid? All right, so we have three. Yeah, there, there are some people. I don't know why you would dream about that, but okay. But my point is, like, when you're growing up, I don't think that, you know, you know the, 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 the idea is not, man, I can't wait to be a best man, right? Like, I cannot wait to be the maid of honor. Like, that is not the dream, right? That's not, that's not the goal. The goal is I want to be, a, you know, and, and for most guys, I mean, I'm just saying, I'm going to let you know right now, I didn't think about the wedding. I was thinking about the honeymoon. I'm just letting it out there, just, just for real, straight up. My mother-in-law is here, and she can attest. We were at dinner, and I was like, listen, I just want to let you know the wedding is for your daughter. The honeymoon is for me. I'm excited. I'm excited. My mother-in-law was like, this boy needs deliverance, and she prayed for me. She did, you know. Um. But ultimately, the point is, you know, most, most, most especially for the, for the ladies in the house, right, as you're growing up, you know, you're not thinking about being, you know, the maid of honor, right? You, you want to be the bride, you know, at some point, you know. And, so, and, and listen, for some of the ladies, you care less. Okay, that's fine. And again, just like the other three, you're the minority in the room. I'm just saying, right? The three that were thinking about being like best men and all that kind of stuff, it's the same thing. But here's the reality. The reality is we don't rejoice as much. If our heart is not in the right place. You see, for those three that raised their hands, you know what? They were going to rejoice for whoever it is that they were the best man or the maid of honor for. Are you here? They were excited for that person. And that's what John the Baptist displays to us. John the Baptist is like, man, my joy is full. Because what? Because the bride is with the bridegroom. Because I am bringing people to Jesus. That is the excitement that was bubbling up in his heart because he was pointing people to Jesus. Remember what I said. It's not about who wins. It's about who gets the glory. That's, that, that, that's a reality. What about when people don't recognize you but they are, you know, coming to Jesus? Are you okay with that? People don't, people don't necessarily see how great you are, but they start seeing how great God is. I love this quote by John Calvin. He said, those who win the church over to themselves rather than to Christ faithlessly violate the marriage which they ought to honor. See, here's the thing. For many of us, and, I can, and this, this is a pure leadership church idea that I'm going to bring out here. It doesn't apply to every single person. But here's the thing. The reality is some people, some leaders are more concerned with the numbers in their church than the numbers that are going to get to heaven. They're more concerned with how many people are filling their seats than with how many people are going to walk through those pearly gates and, you know, walk with Jesus for eternity. And listen, I'm a firm believer, man. If you, if you're, first of all, if you're not excited about your church, I don't think you should be in that church. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I know that that may sound mean. Don't leave. Hello. All right, don't leave. Get excited, right? We love you. You know, there's a lot to be excited about. But my point is, if you're excited about something, then you know what you should do? You should bring people. Hello. You should talk about what God is doing. But you know why you should be, be excited? It's because Jesus is at work. That's what you should be excited about. Because Jesus is doing stuff. Listen, you will go to a good restaurant and you will tell everybody about it. It should be the same thing when you're in a good church. Hello. When you're somewhere that they're really trying to bring glory to Jesus, they're really trying to honor God, you should tell people about it. But here's my point. My point is that doesn't mean, I told, you, I told you guys the story when I was in California. I was in California, right, a couple of years ago on vacation. Now, California is a long way from Florida, wouldn't you say? I'm just saying, right? Okay, so I am in California on vacation, and as I'm there, there was this couple. I'll tell you the story again. For those of you that didn't hear it, it was a pretty amazing story for me. So we're sitting on one of those you know, transit buses, and as we're sitting Sitting down, this couple, older couple, gets on onto the onto the transit bus. They're getting dropped off around somewhere where we were getting dropped off at. We were talking. So they're from Seattle. So they're from Seattle. We're from Florida. We're in California, right? Neither none of us were in the state that we lived in. 
we get out of the, we, we left, we got out of the out of the transit bus, went to the movies, ate some dinner, or vice versa. We come back to wait on the transit bus again. Guess who walks to the bus stop? This same couple. Mind you, let me just backtrack. My wife rebuked me, right, like after they were in, on the bus, and I asked them where they were from, and they told me from Seattle. She's like, why didn't you start talking to them about Jesus? I'm like, why didn't you start talking to them about Jesus? <laughs> I didn't say that. I was like, you're right, babe. I should have. I honestly did. I just said that for effect. But the truth is I felt like garbage. I'm like, why didn't I talk to them about Jesus? I should have, you know, started talking. So what I realized is that this was a setup all day long, right? I'm like, okay, God, if these people are here, we are having the conversation. Glory to God. And so we ended up having an amazing conversation. You know, she was, she was a homeschooling mom. She wasn't a Christian. She had a Catholic background, and she wasn't going to church. Her husband was, I, I think he was Methodist or something like that, but he wasn't going to church either. And so we had this whole conversation, and we talked about Jesus, and, you know, we talked about the big question, like, is Jesus the only way? And I said, absolutely, 100%, Jesus is the only way, right? That's the only big thing that I remember about the conversation. And she talked about, you know, something else, and I, I explained to her, I said, you know how God shows us his love? He shows us his love because of what his son did for us. He shows us how much he loves us. God doesn't condemn us to hell because he's a mean God. It's because we reject his love. Are you hearing me? That's the reason why people are condemned to hell. It is not because God is mean and God is not willing to reach out to them. It is because we reject him. Here's my point. My point is, do you think that those people will ever come to Faith Doma Fellowship? Come on, man. She lives in Seattle. We were in California. I didn't give him a business card or anything like that. What is my, what, what is, the point is, I'm not just trying to lead people to faith, though. I'm trying to lead people to Jesus. When they come into these doors, I'm not just trying to keep them at faith, though. I want them to be here because I really believe in what we do here. I believe that we are into making disciples. I believe that we are into helping people grow in Christ, and I see the fruit of it in so many of your lives. And so I want them to be part of that if they're local. But does that mean that I will only share the gospel? I will only preach to someone if they're going to be part of faith, though? Does that mean that when someone calls your bishop out of nowhere or you send someone because it's all always one of y'all sending someone to send someone who needs marriage counseling to me. I'm like, yeah, send them on. Come on. Well, are you coming to faith? Though? I don't even ask them that. I don't, I don't ask them any of those questions. I love what I learned when I went to um, real life. They, one, of the, one of the prerequisites for them to do premarital counseling or marriage counseling, not premarital counseling, marriage counseling in general or any kind of counseling is this, is that the person has to commit to going to church, not real life, to church. To me, that's a beautiful thing. You know why? Because it's not about real life. It's not about that church. It's about that person going to a church. It's about that person being plugged in to the body of Christ, right? And so those things are important. But the whole point is, how do we deal with things like this if we're, if, if we're not secure in Christ and we're not trying to point people to Jesus? We're never going to do that if we're only about certain things, about us getting glory and for us in churches just trying to bring people to our churches. It's, we're not going to bring the glory to Jesus. We're not going to rejoice the way that we should be rejoicing when we see the bride with the bridegroom. So you and I should be the best maids of honor and best men out there because that's really what we're called to do. Are you hearing me? Understand your function. See, when you think about that, 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 that groom, right, or, or that, 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 that best man, he's supposed to make everything good, not just the bachelor party. Hello. I know that's why some of y'all were dreaming about being the best man. You were thinking about the bachelor party. Anyway, I'm just kidding, but here's the thing. Maybe, maybe I'm not. But anyway, <laughs> ultimately, here is the, you know, we, we have been given this job. And what you want to do, the maid of honor, you want to make sure that your, the bride has everything taken care of. The same thing for the, you know, the best man. You want to make sure the groom is taken care of. Listen, that's our job. We want to make sure everything works out for them. And it's the same thing for us when it comes to our work with Jesus and what God has called us to do is we should want people to walk with God. I love this last verse, verse 30 here. It says, he must increase, but I must decrease. So between the verse on sovereignty that a man can have nothing except what God gives him from heaven and this verse, I mean, those two seal the deal, right? Because if I will realize that I must decrease, and, and when you look at that word de decrease, it means to either make less or be made less. It means to decrease in popularity. In other words, what John the Baptist was saying is, look, I must decrease. 
It must really not be about me and my life. It must really be about the glory and honor of Jesus. See, the sad reality in our days with this prosperity gospel and this self-promoting message that are rampant in the church is that we may never realize that it is only as we decrease that Christ, his kingdom, and his purposes are increased. I say it like this. The enemy wants to keep us pursuing our will, our desires, and our fulfillment to decrease the effectiveness of God's work in our lives. See, what what the enemy wants is for me to be so self-absorbed that I'm only worried about my desires, that I'm only worried about my will, that I'm only worried about me and me and me, and if it makes me feel good, then I'll run with that. If it makes me feel all right, then I'll go in that direction. That's not the heart of God, and John the Baptist proves to us that it cannot and should not ultimately be about us. It should be about the glory of God. It should be about him being glorified in our lives. It should be about him being being the the, the one who directs our lives, not our will. Listen, sometimes things don't happen the way that we want them to happen. Hello? And can I tell you something? In every scenario in my life that something didn't happen the way that I wanted it to happen, can I tell you the result was much better than what I would have ever had. Every time. No hand, no, no, no question at all. The third thing, repeat this after me. Security in the Savior, Security in the Savior. is established in God's truth. Verse 31 to verse 36, it says this. It says, he who comes from above is above all. John the Baptist is still speaking here. He says, he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. So who's he talking about? Who, he who comes from above? Well, he's referring to Jesus. And he says, and he who comes from heaven is above all. Again, Jesus. Remember, the title of our series is The Real Jesus. Verse 32 says, and what he, speaking of Jesus, has seen and heard, that he, speaking of Jesus, testifies, and no one receives his testimony. And so while Jesus is from above, he's above all things, no one is receiving his testimony. That's sad. Verse 33 says this, he who has received his testimony, so the first he there is speaking of John the Baptist, who has received his testimony, speaking of Jesus, has certified that God is true. And so security in the Savior is established on what? It is established in God's truth. See, you and I are not going to be secure in Jesus. We're not going to be secure in Christ if we are not secure and established in the truth of who God is. If we're not secure and established in the truth of God's word. If we're not secure and established in God's truthfulness. Verse 34 says, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. Again, this is speaking of Jesus. For God does not give the spirit by measure. Verse 35, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. He who believes in the son has everlasting life. Again, this is tying in the conversation that was had with with Nicodemus. And he who does not believe in the son or does not believe the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And we'll deal with that verse in, in particular. You see, here's what I want you to realize that while much of the church is being taught that they need to find out their identity which is super important, and it is necessary for us, we must understand that we will never have our identity solid and unwavering until we are solidified in the identity of who Jesus is. You see, when I begin to understand who Christ is, when I begin to make that a continual thing that is on my mind and on my heart, then what happens is I begin to do what? I begin to become more secure in who I am in Christ. You see, as I understand how strong my God is, I understand how firm my footing is. Are you hearing me? You see, when I understand how wise my God is, I know that I don't have to turn to psychic hotlines to get direction. Hello. 
See, because we all want some kind of direction in our lives. You know, we all want some guidance in our lives. And there's some people, believe it or not, they are tempted by, at minimum to go call the psychic hotline or pull into one of those places where they read their palms or communicate. I told you the story when I was like 19 years old, and I was really, and, and this, this, no lie, this happened. I was working at a Hess gas station, and, and a woman in a van, she pulled out, she stopped, and she said, listen, why don't you come to so-and-so's palm reading place because I want to tell you about the transition that you are in your life with this woman. And let me just tell you right now, I was in a transition in my life, and it was with the beautiful Elaine Quinones. Hello. She wasn't Quinones then. She was Camacho, and she was running in the other direction. I was running hard after her, but I was like, I don't know if this is the one, right? But see, a man can't have anything unless it's given to him from heaven, glory to God. And so I'm good today. But the point is, when she said that, I was like, whoa, like for a moment, right? Wait, how does she know that? Hello? Do you not realize that demons are all over the place as well? And they speak just as much. And they knew about some transition. And they knew all the key words. Hello. I'm just saying. But what happens to many of us is that we're seeking direction, right? We're seeking guidance. But what we should be doing is we should be seeking to know who? To know Christ. I always tell couples this. I always tell young, I mean, I was youth pastoring for a long time, and I tell people this all the time. Man, don't worry about running after or pursuing that person. You need to become the person God wants you to be, and when you're the person God wants you to be, he'll bring you to the person that he wants you to be with. Are you hearing me? When you become that person that God wants you to be. See, some of us, we get into a relationship prematurely, and we mess stuff up. I'm just saying. We do things that we don't even need to. We're concerned with stuff we don't need to be concerned with. Listen, does that mean just be happy being alone? Listen, I'm telling you to be content with where you're at. You don't have to stay in that condition for the rest of your life. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is pursuing God, making him the center, becoming the young man, becoming the young woman that God wants you to be is going to be key for you to experiencing what God wants you to be. Because you become more secure in who your Savior is. You become more secure in who he is. And now your character begins to what? It begins to reflect your Savior. It begins to reflect him the way that we should. And so what we need to do is understand a few things that these scriptures, I'm just going to run, run through these real quick. If you want me to send them, I'm not going to repeat them right now because it's a lot. But what do these, this portion of scripture tell us or remind us about Jesus? First of all, that Jesus comes from above and he's sent from God. The second thing is that Jesus is above all. He has all things in his hands. The next thing is that Jesus speaks things he has seen and heard from the Father. He's not speaking on his own, but he's speaking the things that he's heard and the things that he's seen from the Father. The next thing is that Jesus gives the truth to those who receive him. Jesus gives the spirit to those who trust in him. Jesus is loved by the Father because he is the Son, and Jesus can communicate life which is everlasting. And so these are the things that the Word of God, that we just looked at those scriptures, and that's what the Bible is reminding us about Jesus. You see, here's the thing, church, and I want to focus in on verse 36 really quickly. Because the gospel, when preached boldly, clearly, and faithfully, has the power to liberate all who respond in faith from the wrath of God. Now let's look at verse 36, and I'm getting ready to wrap up here. It says this, it says, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now listen, if you want to talk about a motivation for you and I to preach this gospel, let that verse be it. Because here's what the scripture says to us. The scripture says that those who believe, they have everlasting life. It says those who do not believe in the Son will never see life, but the wrath of God remains upon them. And see, when we preach the gospel, we learn what? That God is a good God. He created everything good, and man sinned against him. And because man sinned against him, he broke God's laws, just like in the natural sense, in the spiritual sense, when you break laws, there are consequences. Hello. And what happens is the consequence is separation from God. But it's not just like a week away. It's not like a little bit of time in purgatory or something like that. But it is an eternal separation from God unless God does something. But here's the thing, for those people who are over here separated from God, for those people who are continually rebelling against God, disobeying God, the Bible says the wrath of God remains upon them. 
And so the reason why I will be committed to preaching this gospel to the day I die is because of what? Because I know the only thing that can liberate someone from the wrath of God is understanding that you are on your way to hell, separated from God. You are not good enough to get into heaven. You can never do anything to appease God, but there is one thing that happened, and it is that Jesus died to set you free from the wrath of God. Jesus died so that way you never had to fear an eternal separation from God. Jesus died to set you free from the power of sin. But here is the thing. You have to make a choice. You choose life or you choose death. You either believe or you reject. It's one of the two. There's no such thing as being an idle hearer or non-respondent when it comes to the gospel. Listen, you either believe or you don't. Well, I'll get, to, I'll get to that next week. Okay, so you don't believe. That's it. But the beauty of it is that Jesus died on the cross. He died a bloody, brutal death, absorbing the wrath of God so that way you and I don't have to experience his wrath. But not just that, but it's also so that way we can have a right relationship with God, beginning the moment I put faith in him. And not just that, but that I can have a new identity in him. I am a new creation in him. I'm no longer known by my old sins or my old ways of being. I'm no longer known by that, but I'm known as a child. I'm known as a son. I'm known as a daughter. That's what God does in his son, Jesus. We put faith in him and we trust him. We don't just gain new identity. We we don't just gain new, 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 new perspective, but we gain an understanding of the purpose that God has for our lives to walk in. And so here's my closing question for you is this, is are you secure in the Savior? We talked about being secure in the Savior. Are you secure in the Savior? Are you secure in him? Do you really have stability in who he is? Do you really have stability in his word? Do you really have stability in what he's done? If you're in this place and you don't know him, the answer is no, you're not secure in the Savior. You can't be. But the beauty of it is that if you'll trust him today, you can be secure in the Savior. You don't have to fear wrath. You don't have to fear damnation. You can trust in God's goodness and God's grace, God's mercy in your life. As a believer, are you secure in the truth of who Jesus is, of what God has done for you and his son? Are you walking in that security? Are you living in the security that God wants you to live in? Stand to your feet and let's bow our heads together and pray. Hallelujah. I want, you to, I want you to pray with me as I pray in general. Praying that we would be a people that are secure in who Christ is. Secure in the power of the gospel that is operating in our lives. Father, we come to you right now, Lord, and we thank you so very much for your great grace. We thank you for your love, God. We thank you because you are merciful and kind to us. God, we are unworthy and we recognize that, my Lord, but we come to you today as your sons, as your daughters. And we pray, Lord God, for those in this place that may not know you, God, that you would draw their hearts unto you. God, that you would reveal yourself to them and that you would help them to come to the knowledge of who you are, God, that they would really trust you and believe that what you say you mean, Lord God, and that you can accomplish your purposes and your plans for their lives, God. Father, I pray, dear Lord, for my brothers and my sisters in this place that may be wavering in their faith, my Lord. Heavenly Father, they may be um, facing loss in their lives. They may be facing insecurity. They may be facing instability. But God, I just pray that they would be able to stand firm in you today, God. I pray that in the midst of challenges that they face, in the midst of, of issues that they're facing, God, that they would find stability in your truth because you are a God of truth. I pray that you help us, my God, that are secure in you, I pray that as as these words went forward today, that we would have been encouraged and built up in our faith and that we would be utilized to encourage others, my God, that we would be the best men, that we would be the best women, Lord God, that would lead others to the bridegroom. Father, help us to be consumed with the purpose that you've given us in this life. And may we truly live for your glory. May we truly live trusting your sovereignty. And may we truly live within your purposes. God, we thank you for this. We pray this all in Jesus' great name.
Everyone said? Come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.